Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. When do we take control of our lives and our destiny? We're a small country, but we punch way above our weight. Like, I'm filming now at this stage, to be honest with you. I thought it was one of the hardest things to do. It was horrendous. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. I was driving in this morning and I saw this uh, mossy wall or this robot tree, call it what you will. They put one of them just outside Hillbillies there, between Hillbillies and the fountain by Bishop Lucy Park. I'm just giving you a geographic location, not advertising. But there it is, right there in the Grand Parade, outside Hillbillies by the fountain, near the near the park and they drove past it and it's pretty it is pretty and when they take down the hoardings of course it'll be very pretty and very nice and all that it's going to make though and look regardless of whatever its atmospheric benefits are or are not those will argue for it those will argue again it those will say to hell with spending 300 grand on these things and actually plant some proper trees and you can have all of that argument and I'll have it with you if you want to but what I saw as I drove in this morning is a climbing frame. A climbing frame for drunks, unfortunately. Uh, I can see nothing else in my mind's eye, particularly where they've put it. Now, I know it's because of the location and the, the, they've probably assessed it as the best location. But I just see it, you know, when people start piling out of the pubs and whatever and they come over to Grand Parade and they hang around the fountain as you do and they hang around the park as you do and they hang around here but in the as you it's going to be a climbing frame I just know it 1850-715-996 good morning to you speaking of pubs uh, it's going to be a while lads before we'll get a gig in a pub again as I mean by the pub as in in the pub not outside in the yard, outside the pub. They can do that since last month, and good to see it, and nice to see some music, live music of some kind back. But the chances of getting a live gig in a pub is, well, off the cards for a while. Uh, very much off the cards for a while, in fact. 
Live music in pubs and other indoor events will not return. I'm reading from Adam Higgins, political correspondent of The Sun. Uh, Live music in pubs and other indoor events won't return until between 85 and 90% of adults are fully vaccinated. This is according to what government officials are said to have told music industry figures. Now, with the best of respect to Adam Higgins, and he's a regular on the show, and we have great time for what he says, when you read a headline like that in the newspaper, you wonder, is it true? Did someone actually say this? Or is it speculation? Matt McGranahan is with the Music and Entertainment Association of Ireland. Matt, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Is this true or is it speculation? <clears throat> no, this is what we were told on, on Monday morning. Uh, we had a meeting with officials and the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, uh, Games and Sport and Media. And uh, and it was the first time that we had heard any indication of... Uh, well, any indication, I suppose, but then we received these you know, fairly solid figures, 85 to 90%. Yeah. Uh, that this much talked about, uh, especially in the past week or so promise and aspiration of a roadmap for the sector uh, would be delivered you know, by the end of the, this month uh, or into September. And what we were told as well is that they haven't really started doing anything on that, that they're waiting to see how the next week or ten or two weeks or next week or ten days, I suppose, now it rolls out. And you know, Neffet's advice at the moment is that they don't want indoor live entertainment to start yet. And we're just in this waiting period here at the moment for the next week or 10 days to see how the transmission rates go and and how hospitalizations look and everything like that. Now, Um, Professor McCraw, who's the head of the vaccine task force, said yesterday 79% of adults are now fully vaccinated. So, and 89% have got one dose. So it's not a million miles away, Matt. No, it's not. It's not, uh, and, and it is. Look, at least it's it's good to get numbers uh, and to get a you know fairly solid date. And bear in mind, you know, we want to see an industry reopen in a very safe and responsible way. We don't want an, an industry to reopen. We don't want our workers to be <clears throat> putting their own lives at risk uh, or or, or, in, or in harm's way in any way. And we we completely understand the the, the transmission rates hospitalizations, the numbers, and we fully support that they have to be, you know, we believe they must be put first for public health and public safety. But at the same time, there is no reason why we can't have workable and practicable sets of instructions and guidelines put in place to allow for the resumption of live entertainment. And that could have been happening months ago. There is just simply no reason why that can't happen. But don't you have a roadmap here by default, Matt, because you've now got a figure of 85% to 90%. So we say 85. You've now got a figure of 85%. You've got 79% presently fully vaccinated. Hmm. So that in itself gives you a timeline. I I, I guess it does. But I mean, does that mean they're going to stick to it? Uh, What restrictions will be in place whenever that happens? As well, that's the other thing about it, uh, and what's what you know. Th- this industry, we are going into the autumn winter period, which is a period of natural sort of slowing down of the industry. Anyhow, uh, and so we need to make sure that when we do reopen, as the T-shirt has said on many occasions, that when the sector does reopen, that it doesn't 
go backwards and become closed again. And we want to ensure that when we do reopen, that we've got you know a very positive outlook in front and a positive growth. This industry cannot be switched on. It is not, uh, you know, it, it can take a lot of lead-in time. If you look at the bigger festivals, that can take months and months of preparations. Weddings can take months of, of a date being booked in preparation and lead-in time. Shows and theatres take weeks yeah. and months. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, though, Matt, and we've had this conversation before, and, and you know yourself, music won't find a bigger supporter than me. I want to get back into a pub with a pint in my hand listening to music. I want it like nobody else, right? But at the same time, you've been asking for a plan. You've got a plan now. Well, we haven't really got a plan. We haven't got a plan. We want to know, you know, is the industry going to be supported moving forward in this reopening phase as well? How is it going to be supported moving forward? Because the only plan that we have... But if you can go back to gigs, how do you need support? If you can go back to gigging full-time... No, but you see... Uh, unfortunately, like for Northern Ireland, for example, they talk about the reopening of the theatres. Theatres up there are at around thirty percent capacity at the moment. Yeah, I know that because I spoke to <clears throat> spoke to um, a few acts during the week who were approached by the theatres. They can't go in and put on their normal show. They can only afford to put on a yeah. smaller yeah, production. Yeah, yeah, right there. So that, that theatre is not open. That industry is not open. Uh, you know, this industry needs to be open at pretty much a hundred percent capacity or eighty percent and more capacity. So if you if you look to a pub that is, you know, under social distancing uh, restrictions at the moment as well, well, is it going to be viable for that? Pub now, I have, yeah. now I have you. Now I have you. You're wondering. You're wondering. Will it be? When will it be economically viable for the publican to hire the, the musician, the, the theatre, the festival, everything? The, the government could turn around and say, "Yeah, we're going to reopen the sector tomorrow." But we're, you want to run a festival? You must have two meter social distancing. You must have this, that, and the other thing. That suddenly now becomes a sector that is not reopened. It's not reopened in the way that it should be, or the way that it needs to be. Mm. So and what do you, what do you to, need now? To think about that. Well, we, we need. Uh, I, I'm asking. The, uh, we're asking this week for a date. We want. We want. We want someone. We want that level of commitment. Put a date. Put a poster. Nail it into the ground, and then let's see. Let's move them about yeah. opening you, at the present rate that. of vaccination. You could probably do a prediction and you could say, well, 79% today, Thursday the 12th. You'd be over 80 easily by uh-huh. next Thursday. You should uh-huh. be into the mid-80s. You should easily be into the mid-80s, Matt, Until within a month. Within a month, and that's being very conservative about it. Yeah. yeah. So why can't they give us that date? Fiji, you're after doing the maths there very quickly. <laughs> why can't we get government to put that date you know the hospitality industry managed to get a date and, and it was mm. well, it was put back by much, two weeks in fairness it was put back by two weeks but the fact that that date was committed to you know it, it, it kept right. the pressure on as well for everything just Whereas as a matter of interest just, I, know that, I know that you have been able to have music back outdoors with the last couple of weeks mm. are fellas getting gigs yeah, we are seeing, you know, uh, um, sort of chatter and, and, and hearing stories and things. Yeah, yeah, people are, are managing to get gigs or they're um, advertising services again. And certain things are happening. But, you know, it's not in the way that, uh, it's not normal. It's not pre-COVID. It's nothing like that, um, I suppose. And, and they're relieved to be getting out and relieved that they know that they can do this 
uh, without fear of prosecution, as we have examples of some musicians who were threatened with prosecution by local guards in the past seven, well, the past six or seven weeks, uh, when they were performing local and beer gardens. And, and well, they weren't supposed well. to be there. That's why. Well, the, well, according to the AG, they were entirely entitled to be there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I don't know where were the guards basing the, the threat of prosecution on the guidelines or the legislation. Yeah. yeah. So there's that, that an interesting question in that. So I think, yeah, there's a resumption. But, you know, I, I, I speak to one guy yesterday, as he said, he played a gig a couple of nights ago, but he had the coat on the whole evening. And, yeah. uh, you know, we're, we're moving into September only in ah, a matter yeah, of yeah, weeks. Yeah, get that. Uh, it's not sustainable. So so uh, are you so suggesting, Matt, and is the Music and Entertainment Association of Ireland suggesting that, OK, we, we now know what you want to do in terms of vaccination figures. Give us a date. Give us, what, 30th, 30th of August or 14th of September. Give us an actual date that we can write down. Uh, correct. And we want a, a date... Please set, uh, stick the post into the ground and stick by it. And let's walk towards that. Let's walk and would you accept, Matt, like the pubs had to accept, that if it got to a point in time where, and let's pick the 1st of September, let's just pick that. Mm-hmm. So if, if the date, if, if you got a date tomorrow of the 1st of September, remember what happened with the pubs, they got the 5th of July, and then mm-hmm. things things didn't suit, it, it wasn't safe. Let's just yes. call it. It wasn't safe, so they yeah. got put back. So, are you, would you, would you say, look, let's put a date in the sand, pending everything being all right? Oh, correct, correct, and, and based on based on transmission uh, rates, based on everything like that, of course. Uh, and with the the pubs, the, and going back to the fifth of July, that the Delta variant became increasingly worse, or or there were certainly signs that it, it could become evolve into something worse, and so it needed to be monitored. And I understand exactly where, you know, Neffet are at at the moment, with wanting to look at the situation for the next two weeks. And that's fine. Why we wait and, and look at the situation, let's, we could be doing something to fill in that void. So whenever, in two weeks' time, it's something that, that Neffet say, no, we're happy and content enough that indoor activity should resume even to a certain percentage point or something like that, then at least we know we're already walking towards guidelines. We don't want to be sitting here waiting, just watching for two weeks and then decide to, to, to do something after that. That's not very proactive. Okay. All right, Matt, leave it there for now. Uh, always good to speak with you. That's Matt McGranahan, a Music and Entertainment Association of Ireland. He's there official spokesperson. So they've got this confirmed now. Minister Catherine Martin said to them that once we get over the 85% to 90% barrier of adults vaccinated, then we can start again with indoor music and with festivals and stuff like that. But Matt is saying, well, okay, that's a, that's a statistic, that's a figure, that's nice. Give us a date. Give us a date. Give us the 1st of September. Give it something. And then even if, when it gets to that point in time, it's not quite safe enough yet, like happened with the pubs, then we'll hold off. But give us a date. Write a date down. Like they did, they wrote the pubs down. They wrote down, remember the hotels? They gave them the 2nd of June. That worked. Then you had some of the restaurants outdoors. They were the 9th of June or something. That worked. Then the pubs were given 5th of July. That didn't work. So they went back to the, the 19th or the 26th of July. But they want a date to start working off of now. Is that a fair thing to ask, do you think? 
Opinion line on Corks 96 FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Corks Gold Imro Award winning sports show. Right, right here, right then. The score on Corks 96 FM. Join me, Trevor Welch, Sundays from 2 for the best music mix and all the latest sport as we focus on the Cork Derby, City versus Ramblers. It's the return of the Premier League and we bring you our Gaelic Games Roundup. Right here, right now. Join Trevor Welch for the score this Sunday from 2 p.m. With Firebird Heating Solutions. If you're building, think of the Firebird Air Source Heat Pump with underfloor heating and heat recovery. See firebird.ie. Right here, right there. On Cork's 96 FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Courts 96 FM. Look around you and see what laws are being broken every day. I'll give you one of them for nothing. The law that says if you have your dog out for a walk in a public place, it must be on a lead. It must also have a collar, but obviously to have a lead it needs a collar. Some of them have to be muzzled, but that's not what we're talking about here now. If you are out with your dog, then the dog must be on a lead. It's, it's, it's a law that's broken right, left and centre. And Cullum, you've started a petition or you have a petition going to have it enforced properly. Morning to you. Yes, I started with uh, Cork City Council and the Environment uh, Group that's in Cork City Council to get get the amount of uh, petitions is over 500 and then city council people, the senators will vote, uh, senators and uh, they will vote on it and then it has to be, if anyone breaks it, it's over 150 euro fine on the spot. Yeah, like there already are provisions in law that you have to have your dog on a lead. You're seeing a lot of it and without identifying anybody you've been a victim. Uh, four times on four different occasions. You yeah, uh, or your own I, dog? Uh, my own dog. Um, I have a Pekingese so that's a small not even, he's like a poodle. Yeah, that's small how small dog. he is. And um, in one area in the north side in it's a it's a public street, and the an owner uh, had his dog off the stage. He was over, well over 100 uh, metres away from me, and he came down, and he uh, snapped at his back leg, which cut, uh, cut into his upper part of the leg. The line isn't the best. So, 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 so your own little dog has been attacked on more than one occasion by dogs in public places that were that were off their off their leads. Yes, and I've heard from other people it's going on this way that other dogs are attacking their own dogs yeah. when they're trying to walk their own dogs. Yeah, yeah. You are supposed to keep your dog on the lead at all times in a public place. Who's going to enforce it, though? That's the question I'd be asking. The dog warden or the dog do, do we have warden. One? Do we even have one? We have dog wardens. They enforce the, the bill that's uh, paying their salaries which is the dog uh, license yeah. of twenty twenty two fifty a year. Yeah, yeah. So, 
So if they if they're forced in that, surely enough they can come out and and are in a force where laws have to say right, you have to have your dog on a leash. That, that would and kind of involve them walking around watching, though, wouldn't it? Well, what else are they doing? Sitting down, having cups of tea down in the office. Well, they're doing what I suppose they're doing what they're what they're supposed to. Like I'm not saying that I, I on record I'm not saying that the dog wardens are lazy guys. No, no, you're not. I wouldn't let you. Yeah. But I'm saying like for, on the four different occasions I had to spend well over uh, seven hundred quid for the four different occasions to get my dog treated. Yeah. And the owner and I actually know the four owners and they would not be Pay back the bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so effectively, you're saying the dog wardens should be should be patrolling, and if necessary, hire hire more of them. How how would you feel about the city council then setting up? Because they've said they will set up actual doggy parks where where you can bring your dog in and let them off. I mean, one of my, my one of my two little lads runs away like a lunatic when he's off the lead, and then will come back straight away. He's harmless. But he loves to run, loves to go crazy off his lead, as do many, many, many dogs. I'm sure your own loves to be let off the lead for a run now and again. How would you feel about parks where you actually can do that? Well, if it's parks, they can do, but not if other public people are walking on it, uh, walking in us and not being attacked by the dog. Okay. All right, Colin, thanks very much. Colin Feely has set up a petition to try and get more enforcement of the law. And he's not looking for a new law. Let's be clear here. Thanks, Colm. Not looking for a new law. The law's already there. You're supposed to have your dog on a lead if you're out in the public street. And there are fines for not doing it. I don't know the last person who was fined. He wants it enforced. He wants dog wardens patrolling the streets or some way in which if you're out with your dog and it's attacked by another dog that's not on the lead, that the owner is subject to a fine. He says his own little dog has been attacked Three or four times. The law is not being enforced. 185996 The topic of working from home, God, it's become such a part of our conversation for the last 17 or 18 months. And some people might like to continue working from home. You might never have done it before. But hey, you might be lucky enough to have got a nice little handy arrangement going. Spare bedroom or the locker room. Box room has been converted, you've got the little table in there, everything's fine. You like it, and you'd like to continue. And your employer knows that you've been able to do everything that you'd normally have to do from home, except maybe meetings, and then that's what Zoom is for, or Teams, or whatever platform you choose to use. And you're sitting here now in August of 2021, you're thinking, oh, you know what, I don't really need to go back to the office. I'm quite enjoying this. And, and maybe go in one day a week or maybe not go in at all. Do you know, and you're thinking about that. We've talked previously about the rights you might have and, and the way you should approach your boss about, about, uh, about that. But Google has thrown a bit of a cat among the pigeons now in the States because Google have said that employees based in the same office before the pandemic could see their pay change if they switch from working from home permanently. It'll depend on where they live. So if you live five or six miles from the office or you live 25 or 30 miles from the office, different effects on your pay. But if you choose to work full-time from home for Google, Google are looking at changes in the pay structure. It doesn't sound all that fair, really, 
does it. Um, other companies, other big companies like, for example, Facebook has said they have been had no change in their policy so far. And Google Ireland were asked about this for one of the newspapers and said, our compensation packages have always been determined by location. We always pay at the top of the local market based on an employee, where an employee works from. Reading that from the Irish Independent. But the idea that should you choose to stay working from home because, hey, it, it suits you and you're getting all the work done. The idea that your wage could be based on whether or not you work from home. Is that even fair? Quiva Burke with Burke Consulting HR. Quiva, good morning. It sounds unfair. Good morning, if if I can do the job as well as you can, but I'm at home and you're in the office, why should our wages be different? Oh, it's so tricky. Okay, so this has been tried in the US and it is not at all uncommon for somebody to commute anywhere from 1.5 to 2 hours a day to their office, uh, to the Google headquarters. And what they're saying is now they're giving employees the options. It's basically, if you choose, if you select to work full time from home, you could experience a pay cut and they introduced this Google Work Location tool so that employees could see what it might mean for them if they were to make that choice. So where it's, you see, here's the thing. It is not unusual for companies globally to take a location-based approach to employee salaries. That I would say is fairly standard and universal. Where this becomes quite tricky is where you have an employee that has been commuting said distance. They have not changed address. And now they've been told, oh, by the way, you're going to get now anywhere from a 5 to 15% cut in salary. So yeah. in that particular instance, is so unfair. Yeah. Like, the, for example, there, there's been a London bonus in salaries for years. If you work inside the M25, major companies are inclined to top your wages up by a little because of the cost of commuting in and out, and, and, and that, that, mm-hmm. that's okay. But But the idea that I can do this job from home, the idea that I would be paid differently from home because I choose to stay at home, that's not remotely fair, I would have thought. It isn't, no. But if you have a situation where you have somebody moving from an office in Dublin to anywhere outside of, um, and I'm obviously looking at Ireland because, of course, that's where we reside. So if you're working in Dublin, you will command a salary greater than probably every other county depending on the role that you're in and if you come from let's say a Dublin office to a Donegal or a Cork office and then you are on a higher salary than your peers in that location and the cost of living in that location is deemed to be lower then you're disrupting what your peers in the new location are now earning. So it is literally a vortex. Like it, there is no straight line here. But I completely understand how employees are like, well, are they devaluing my work now? Because it's not like I'm working less. If anything, the mm. studies are showing that people work 10 to 20 percent more yeah. when they work. From and, and they deliver on their tasks and they deliver totally. efficiently. But then again, I suppose you could look at it from this point of view, Quiva, in that having someone working full time from home is an expense on your IT department. It is indeed. It's also an expense on the employee whereby they have to increase their broadband speed because I don't think there's anybody I know that hasn't run into 
Wi-Fi issues and whatnot, trying to liaise and communicate with the people in their office, maybe not every day, but certainly from time to time. And then there's, you know, household utilities like electricity and whatnot that you're leveraging a lot more when you're working from home. So if it is the case that your employer or Google is saying, look, we're going to give you a 5% um, pay cut, but we are going to compensate some of the additional costs um, in a separate way to offset that could, could you see a situation where a job is advertised, and any, any kind of a job, a job is advertised mm-hmm. that can be done either from the office or from home or hybrid? Could you see different salary scales depending on where you choose to base the work? I would think for hybrid, highly unlikely, because that individual is still very much within the catchment area, one would suspect, and they are commuting to and from the office. I think this really comes down to when people are working full time from home. And, um, you know, there's this idea that, you know, pay scales will potentially flatten. And that would mean that it doesn't matter where you're working, be it globally, if you're an engineer in New York or an engineer in Dublin, that you would get the same pay. But I just think the reality of that, I, I don't think we're there. I don't think we're there for a long time. Mm. But I think companies are trying to be, um, they're, they're trying to be fair and consistent, but they haven't maybe found that golden ticket just yet. Mm. And, uh, but there, there's change afoot for sure. Um, absolutely. Could you see a bit more gig economy out of it in that they know that Tom and Mary and Sean and Susan have office setups at home. So have them work part time when you need them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the the gig economy has been coming on in leaps and bounds for the last 10 to 15 years. And COVID has absolutely um, just blown it out of the water. And then, you know, employees, because they can work more flexibly, they're they're not necessarily as keen to commit to the one employer, right? And I think one of the big things that's going to happen, and, and Google will see this, is that if you are going to change up the compensation structure this way, um, a lot of businesses won't, right? A lot of businesses will see that as a competitive advantage in which they can attract that talent and they'll be quite happy to pay top of market doesn't matter if you're in Dublin or Cork and they will give you the same salary because like it or not trying to find strong people is incredibly difficult Mm. like the commute there's the argument and I know I mentioned the London charge earlier on but that's kind of an exception is the Dublin top up as it were I mean you know it in you you know from your work in HR it's there it's Mm -hmm. very visible you know Mm -hmm. but What's it meant to take account of? Location, rent, commute? Cost. I think it's a combination of two. I would say cost and I would also say commute because people are spending, people were, maybe not so much now, although you can't see it on the right, people were spending so much time in their cars or, you know, in transit, getting to and from work and that's quality time away from their people. And, you know, pre-COVID as well, and even at the outset of COVID, you know, people were asked, would they be willing to take a pay cut if they were to see more flexibility? And the majority of respondents said they would. Uh, now that that is potentially becoming more of a reality in certain businesses, I think people are like, hold up, that's that's not fair. Yeah. But it's a it's a bigger conversation. Like it's so not linear. There's there's so no. there's so many. Although ways someone that on the phone here this. is saying, if if Google are doing this and it works for them, then you can see it. Uh, trickling down and it also they're a disruptor yeah it also I mean if more people are working from home in a way it reduces costs for the business because they don't need as much office space absolutely yeah commercial real estate for sure so it shouldn't affect the wages that way you're just saving the company money 
I guess it's, it's, I, I totally understand what, you know, what I understand why people are up in arms about this. Absolutely. But then, you know, as I said, if you have people in, you know, remove, moving to different parts of the country where the cost of living is that bit more less expensive and their peers or that particular market of talent is at a particular rate, the company, you know, they're, they're going to keep if if they can. And that's not to say that they're not a phenomenal employer. I mean, they are, I'm sure. But if they if there's a way in which they can reduce or offset costs, they're going to consider right. it. Yeah, because they're obviously the, the, bot, the bottom line yeah. is, is what The bottom is line what is matters. the bottom line. Yeah. Lastly, Quiva, I, I kind of introduced yeah. you by going over something we've said before, that some people found themselves working from home for the first time ever at the start of the pandemic. Yeah. And it was a whole new thing for them and it was a bit daunting at first. But now you're sitting on, I quite like this, you know. I could do this, you know. I wouldn't mind. Do you think a lot of people are of that mindset that, do you know what, the old office on the kitchen table that I pack up on a Friday at five, I could live with that. Do you think people are thinking that way? Oh, one hundred percent. There isn't there isn't any any business that I that I personally work with that isn't wholly embracing a hybrid um approach to work. And uh, now that said, there's nobody that's deciding, look, I'm going to go fully flexible on this, you know, fully flexible or fully remote, should I say. Um but oh yeah, no, it's it's a benefit to the business and I think it's a benefit to the individuals because individuals feel like they have more autonomy. They can clearly work um incredibly productively at home. There isn't a dip in efficiency. And uh they're not being you know, they're spending more quality time with their people in their lives and that benefits obviously them and in turn benefits the company because they're just happier. Okay. All right. Well and you go through all of the other businesses then that you just can't do it from home. I know, and that's so tough. Like as in if you know, if you're working in retail or hospitality, you can't work from home unless you're working in an administrative capacity so hard. And then, uh, yeah, it's um, it's a totally different, totally different sector that requires the customer facing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? There's a lot to be said for, you know, human interaction. While it is great, don't get me wrong, the flexibility, hybrid working from home, there is a, you know, there is a lack of, you know, face-to-face and human connectivity that other sectors are uh, getting obviously in abundance. Yeah. yeah, there's also a lot of bosses who hate it because they've no control <laughs> over you. They take that, but I don't think that's fair. I think if that's your managerial style, I was, I'm like, oh God, um, because and it and it probably involves a much deeper conversation. If you're that concerned about a particular individual, what's really at the what really is at the base of yeah. that? Because yeah. it's not flexible work; it's something else. Yeah. All right. All right. Quiva, thanks very much. Uh, we'll talk again on that. Quiva Work Work Consulting HR. There's one. Like, what do you think? Okay. I, and I'm looking particularly to the people who are working from home or had to do it for a while. Would you prefer it? Are there reasons why you'd prefer it? Or the idea that you work from home and Tommy up the road is working for the same company, but he goes in to the office. You do the same job in the same office for the same company. It doesn't suit Tommy because he doesn't like working from home. So Tommy goes back in the office and you say to the boss, well, you know what? I'm happy here. I'm grand. So the boss says, okay, uh, your wages will now be lower than Tommy's. How fair is that? Can we just talk? 
the opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. The 25th Annual Cope Foundation Golf Classic Fundraiser takes place on the 19th and 20th of August at Monkstown Golf Club. With a list of incredible prizes to be won, teams of four are invited to book a place for this year's event. More information can be found at cope-foundation forward slash golf classic. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie Hear all the biggest hits from your favourite festival stars non-stop. Cork's 96FM's Back Garden Festival is now streaming exclusively online. Listen on our app or go to 96fm.ie The Back Garden Festival with Harvey Norman and JBL. Your specialist in sound this summer. Cork's 96 FM. You spent so much time yesterday talking about the hospitals, but today there's no mention. That's because it's yesterday's news. Media need to start mentioning more often, not once every so often, as nothing will be done if it's not constantly mentioned. It should be the most important agenda on everything. What happened to your health is your wealth. Well, caller, if there's a new development in it today, we'll certainly bring it to you in the news. We did discuss it at length yesterday because the situation was urgent. We haven't forgotten it. We're still watching it and still monitoring it when there's something new or someone wants to speak about it. If you have a point to make on the air caller, that'd be great. Love to hear from you. But right now, the story isn't going anywhere as such. When it starts to go somewhere, we'll, we'll be there with it. We'll be there with it with bells on. Caller says, I've been trying to contact someone for the last few days. It's impossible because they are, in inverted commas, working from home. They keep all sorts of bizarre hours and they don't return their voicemails. If this was going to be like, I can see all the jobs moving out of the country to call centres or something. And then Kieran says, Shapija, they don't have the cost of getting to work anymore. Where's the fairness for people who don't have the option and still have to pay for travel every day? If Google are doing this and it works, more businesses will follow, leaving less need for office space. Then people won't be socialising, losing that basic human contact. It'll affect work life in a bad way. The only people who benefit from this are the corporations who get to pay the people less and not pay rent for the building. I feel the media are... Oh, God. If the cat had kittens, they'd blame the flippin' media. I feel the media are driving this kind of idea, and I don't agree. We have a mental health crisis due to covid if people want to work from home, there are specific jobs that they can look into for that. I agree with you the last bit. And I agree with you that working from home, when possible, should be a choice. But the media driving a working from home model, that is just crackers. 1850 715 The examiner has been running a good set of features on dereliction around our city and county and God knows how many times we've spoken about derelict buildings across the city in particular and there's some photographs go up on social media from time to time, well-known buildings falling down, buildings that could have housed people or housed a business with a tree growing out the roof of it and the examiner also looked at it moving out into county towns uh, Podge Horror was writing some pretty good stuff. There's dereliction in Mallow, Mitchellstown, Fromoy, Yall, plenty other people. And the idea that, or plenty other places rather, you could take buildings that are long vacant and 
renew them and repurpose them and refurbish them and get them back as housing, get them back as businesses. Frank O'Connor is from the Anish Agency. And Frank, we've spoken before about this. You've campaigned uh, on the dereliction issue for quite some time. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Good to chat to you. You too. A a cursory stroll around the city will just show you the number of buildings lying idle and lying empty that we could do something else with. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And obviously it's not just a Cork issue, it's a national issue. Um, But obviously Cork City, particularly in the centre, has a lot of derelict buildings, which really we're losing out on on a lot of opportunities, like you said, for homes, but also for places for people to play and create, but also for... uh, useful places for work as well. And yeah, we have been, my, my partner, Jude Cherry, have been, uh, I suppose, shining a light on dereliction over the last uh, 12 to 18 months, uh, particularly over the last 12 months. And we've been, uh, I suppose, focusing particularly on Cork because we see uh, it's our home. PJ, we live in the city centre. We love the city. It's got so much potential. But it is very sad to see all the waste, you know. It's, it is really wasted resources and stuff. So, and really, what we would like is for, um, for I suppose, really a much stronger national strategy around how we can get people back into our cities and our towns. They are beautiful. You know, they were beautiful before. They were populated. Mm. And and what we would like to do is get people back in there. But to do that, we have to make them livable. And obviously, tackling dereliction and vacancy is the most sustainable way to improve the livability and density of our towns and cities. The most sustainable building, I've seen some climate change activists, for example, saying this last time, the most sustainable building is a building that's already there. Absolutely, and actually that's what Jude and I have been pushing for. I suppose that's actually come from us because we've been pushing that a lot over the last 12 months because we've we've worked all over the world, PJ, on sustainability projects and a product on an open level. And yeah, I mean, what we have, we've got to work with. If we start knocking everything down and building, we're already losing a lot of, um, I suppose, embedded energy, but also a lot of resources and stuff. And Mm. yes, with the climate crisis, we also have a resource crisis. And we have to rethink. And and what we've got to realise is we have very beautiful open spaces. Marvellous. We have, I mean, as I said, a cursory walk down Patrick Street and look upstairs, and we've discussed this before, the yeah. number of upstairs floors along Patrick Street that could be, that could be lived in. But, Absolutely. But herein Absolutely. lies a problem. And if you've ever done up an, an older house or done some work on an older house, you'll know that nowadays health and safety standards are just sky high. And that it would almost be cheaper to pull the building down and rebuild. Well, I suppose it's... By the time you comply. Uh, it's an interesting point. I mean, we're actually going through one of those ourselves. Um, Jude and I bought a house in Cork in the city centre a number of years ago. So we're actually going through that process of uh, restoring our own property. It's a 200-year-old small terrace house in, uh, in Blackpool. And actually what we're finding is that's kind of a myth as such, particularly at a home level, because we're, we're actually refurbishing an existing home. So actually it's not going to cost us more for PJ at all. Actually, it's going to cost us less. You know, because and did you not have an engineer walk down and say, I need, I need uh, steel uh, there and I need steel there and you're dropping five grand in a day? Yeah, well, obviously you will get different people give you different advice, but we've been lucky enough to, to speak to, I suppose, specialists in terms of conservation and architecture, and what we've realised is maybe some of the advice you get maybe isn't as valid. No, so for our situation, no, it's, it's going to actually cost much less. Right. But obviously, like I said, we are working with a home. We're not converted into anything else. Yeah. It will be, it is our home. So it's different, obviously, there will be different complications. If you're and, and is your to... suggestion, Frank, or that... 
take those beautiful buildings on Patrick Street, for example, or indeed they're, they're around the county. Is it the job of local government or national government to work with the developer who says, I've bought the building, now, now will you help me to maintain it? There's, there's so many different things we need to look at, but we do need a national strategy to look at how we sort of bring our towns and cities back to life, you know, not to end up eroding all the, the local economy. Because obviously the local economy will, like you've already said, PJ, it will be a real boost. If people come back to the city, it'll be a real boost for the local economy. So you'll create jobs and all that. But yeah, no, literally, if you had a national approach where we said actually there was actually an action in the programme for government to do a town centre first, and we haven't got really a national strategy so far. So if we produce a national strategy and, and then start applying that, basically we, we need like a national guiding principles. Yeah. And around that... Do you need thing, to make it more attractive that when you buy an old building, you need to make it more attractive to work with what's there than pull it down and rebuild? Well, that's that's true. But at the moment, you see, there are a lot of measures in places for tackling dereliction. But unfortunately... I suppose we don't seem to have the cultural or political will to apply them. So there is a lot of existing measures that could be applied by the local authorities, you know, at a local level and a national level. But unfortunately, that's not happening at the moment. But you're right. I mean, look, if you're, if you're living in another country, th- those heritage buildings, people would be dying to, to live in them. Oh, no. Yeah, look, uh, one know. of my favourite cities in the world, Palma, you just look at what they do with old buildings. It's, it's, it's incredible. incredible. Yeah, so we have... So we really probably need to work. There's so many things we need to do. But one of the things we need to look at culture, you know, why do we have this mindset in Ireland where... Pull it down and rebuild. Just very quickly, because time time is short. There's a controversy at the moment over the sextant. And when the sextant was being pulled down, people predicted this controversy. You think the developer may be forced to rebuild it? Well, you know, we've actually put that in. Actually, it's in the newspaper there today where Jude and I have actually asked that they actually put in the housing, PJ. We want the housing. We want homes, you know. We want homes for people in the city. Now, if they're not prepared to put in the homes and the apartments, then obviously we have to ask the question, should they rebuild it? And this is this, this is about setting a precedent. Other countries, well, you would be required to build, rebuild it. And it can be rebuilt. And if they did their job properly, they would have documented the building fully. But unfortunately, again, I know we haven't got much time, but in Ireland, when we when we take something down, we demolish it, PJ. In other countries, they take it down brick by brick, timber by timber, and they make sure the resources can be reused again. So and we have they at least put the facade back up around it. They do, and I've seen it yeah. happen. And uh, like you say, so yeah, I mean, really, we have to look at the developers rebuilding it. I mean, that's the reality. If they're not going to provide the homes, they only knocked it on the basis that there would be homes for people, PJ. And we need homes, and we need people in the city, and we need to bring everyone from an 8 to an 80-year-old back into the city into a safe, happy environment. And what a boost that will be for the Irish economy on a local level, for your villages, towns. I mean, it would be wonderful, PJ, wouldn't it? Okay. It would be absolutely wonderful. Frank, we should, that- we, we, should, we should talk again, maybe at a bit more length, another day uh, about this. But uh, thank you very much. And we also need to see what the law says, too, after the council investigate that whole situation with the sextant. It's in the papers. You could go through it and it's too complicated but it was pulled down supposed to put housing there now the housing won't go in there so what happens that's 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 what that's where we are can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. See another report on global warming out this morning. An Irish-focused one. We had the one from the UN earlier in the week and, and it's dire predictions for if we don't do something about this way the climate is going. Actually, you've seen it yesterday in Sicily. They had the highest temperature ever recorded in Europe. It was 48.8 or something like that. 49 degrees centigrade Celsius. If you translate that into the old language of Fahrenheit, which they still use in the States, that was 116 degrees Fahrenheit. That's that's not livable. You can't live in that. They had in, in that in Sicily yesterday for a couple of hours. So no doubt the world is getting hotter and hotter and hotter. Here in Ireland, according to a new report out this morning or out last night, we're getting hotter and wetter. And we're headed for a future of hotter summers and probably droughtier, if that's a word, summers. And those of us who love summer weather, well, do you know what? In a way, we kind of say, okay, that's all right. We can live with that. But we're looking for wetter, warmer winters and more floods and more high tides and more storms in the wintertime, which could have horrible implications for Cork because the seawater is rising. And if it rises too much, it'll engulf parts of the city. Tim Brosnan was saying... Look, if you look at what the city centre might look like in 2050 with global warming, the river walls won't stop the sea rising. What's more, where the city fathers had proposed developing the docklands and a light rail system, it'll all be underwater if we don't do something about it. Taoiseach will have to act because Nemo, Rangers, football grounds and Douglas will both be water parks by 2050 if we don't do something about uh, climate change and global warming. And a lot of people are saying, okay, fine, we understand that there is a, a crisis. We get that. We, we appreciate that there's a crisis. And we appreciate that a lot of mistakes were made over the years that, that caused this crisis. But there's a lot of big global companies that are causing this and a lot of places pumping out dirty, filthy smoke and fumes all over the world that are doing a hell of a lot more to cause this than the ordinary citizen, the ordinary householder. So there's a balance to be struck while we tackle it. It's one I've no doubt we'll come back to time and time and time and time again. 1850-715-996. Last week we were talking about when Apple had announced plans to scan photos in iPhones and check them against a database of child abuse material. And it's, again, another attempt by these huge corporates to, to clamp, clamp down on child porn and clamp down on abuse of young people online. And we were talking about that last week. Now Google is taking steps uh, to stop children seeing or searching for pornography as part of a, a raft of new measures. It'll also automatically remove images of anybody under 18 if a parent requests it. It will block ads that are targeted at kids and location history will be automatically off for anybody under 18. It 
There's another problem, though, that, again, Google seemed to have missed here. Adrian Weckler, tech editor with the Irish Indo. I don't know if it's a problem that you can solve, Adrian. Kids lie about their age. Good morning. Good morning, and they do, and they do it generally speaking with their parents' knowledge and consent of that. That's not my opinion. That comes out in the data of survey after survey in Ireland. There was a huge survey done uh, at the end of last year by an organisation called Cyber Safe Kids. It was it was two thousand children between the ages of eight and twelve, um, so not even young teenagers. And that found that 82% of preteen kids have a social media or a social messaging profile, which is way up on last year. And that's despite the social media platforms having a minimum age limit of 13. Now, what that really says is that when a parent gives their 11 or 12-year-old a phone or a tablet and they see them signing up to Snapchat or Instagram, they know that they're doing so. And they know that they're uh, um, that to sign up to these platforms, you have to be uh, 13. So there's two things going on here. There is the the, the child that's uh, uh, lying about their age when they sign up and their parents uh, acquiescing to it. And then there is the lack of any meaningful age verification on the part yeah. of those companies. So they basically just, for the most part, they leave it at that. So if you say, if you're an 12-year-old and you say you're 18 and you just you just uh, input your wrong birth date for the most part they won't really double check that and so then you're into a scenario where you're getting seen certain type of ads your your searches on your google could come back with you know adult content you can be tracked um, in a different way than you would if you were a, a child all sorts of stuff so um the measures that you read out two minutes ago that Google is introducing, they're all good measures yeah, and they, they should help. And in some cases they will help because there are some kids who use uh, phones and who use Google and YouTube who are signed up on family accounts, their parents control the accounts. So it will help some, but I suspect not for the majority. So is there a way that you that you could do it? So take a, a 16-year-old mm. who, who tells Facebook or Google or any other platform I'm 19, like mm. you said, the, the 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 fake, the fake date of birth, yep. and and you're in, and and you circumvent all of these measures. Yep. Is there a way that that Google can check, or Facebook can check, or Instagram can check? They have a way of checking if you're not signed into your account, and it gets a little bit trickier, and it's also a little bit marginal. Let's say that you're a 14 year old and you are on your parents' computer and you. You know, you land on a website or you land on Google search, but you're not logged into your Google account. What Google will actually um, check that computer's uh, other activity, sites it's visited, um, searches it's done to try and guess whether you are over or under 18. But that's a very marginal case. For the most part, they don't really have a way of telling whether you're over or under 18. It's also important to say that we as users and as citizens, we haven't really arrived at a consensus on the best way of doing this. Like every now and again, you'll hear someone say something like, um, well, they, they should require uh, uh, you know, proof of identity verification when you're signing up for account. You, you should have to upload a passport or your PPS n- number. 
And then you're getting into all sorts of hairy scenarios. Do you really want to be uploading your passport sensitive details to a tech company's service? So it's not an easy uh, situation to fix, but um, nevertheless, uh, I suspect the big issue here is that it's really parents who allow their kids to go on these uh, services and do this stuff. And I'm not saying that that sounds like I'm giving out to parents. I'm just saying that is a challenge to introducing rules that will stop kids seeing adult material. Yeah, like, like you said, the, the data is there. It shows that mm. kids are signing up, lying about their age, and their parents know about this. So, so there's a certain there is a duty here, isn't there, Adrian, on parents? Yeah, there is, and I think to be fair, I think we have come some way in understanding that over the last few years, five years ago, or 10 years ago, let's say, if you and I were having this conversation, there would have been an awful lot more um, alarm in the tone, and we would have been completely freaked out by the idea of a 13-year-old going on the internet at all. For the most part, we've now, I think, all arrived at a situation where we understand that the internet is not all bad, that there are some good uses that we put it to, and we've seen that particularly in the pandemic, um, you know, try telling somebody, by the way, this is actually more true for older people and for pensioners than it is for younger people. I wrote a story um, uh, last week that uh, there are three times as many pensioners using Facebook as there are teenagers now. Yes. And, that, yeah. and that's for a reason. And um, so so it, it does help with communication. Uh, so there is, I think, a little bit more understanding and there's trust between parents and kids to a large part, that if I, if I give you a phone and you go on Snapchat, that, you know, I'm my trust relationship with you is going to govern what you do on Snapchat as much as any rule that yeah. Snapchat imposes. I think that's where we're at at the moment. Yeah. Is there some way as parents, and I'm thinking in terms of a very popular addition to our family has been Alexa. Right. Yeah. We all love Alexa. She's so handy. She's on the television. By the way, you've every... just triggered hundreds or thousands I know. <laughs> of machines by saying that word. Alexa, stop. Air. Okay. Right. <laughs> so I know I have. I know I have. I've, 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 I've experienced it on holidays. <laughs> anyway, so like you can now program seven or eight different profiles into one of these mm. gadgets. So can a parent say, well, don't let Johnny access mm that because Johnny's only 14. Yes. Can you do that? You can. You absolutely can. Now, you're supposing that the parent and Johnny are using the same computer or the, or even more unlikely, the same phone. So the, the way Google and Apple as well have kind of tried to address this is they have set up what they call family profiles. So you can give a child a phone and you know, with accounts like Google accounts or Apple accounts, and they will be an extension of your own account. Um, and that will give you controls over things like how much screen time that phone uh, will have. It'll give you controls over things like Google Safe Search, what they see. Um, and that's a reasonably successful way of doing it. It's aimed more at the younger profile, maybe kind of more under 14, under, yeah. 10, 11, 12, 13, around that age group. But it can be done. I mean, it's quite simple to set up as well. Um, uh, if you just go into settings it, it, on either an Android phone or an iPhone, 
it'll it'll give you a pretty easy step by step on how to set up a family profile. What seems to be increasingly important, Adrian, is when you bring a piece of equipment into the home, it, it's your responsibility as a parent to learn how it works and to, if you can, learn to know more about it than your children do. It's a big ask in 2021, but you need to try. Adrian Weckler, tech editor with Irish Independent, thank you very much. 1850-715-996. I just wanted to go to this quickly uh, because I know that Katrina needs to be finished in a wee while so I'll move to it we've often talked about domestic abuse on the program many 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 times and every time we do every single time we do we get at least one call one text one email saying please PJ don't forget this happens to men too and we always say this happened to men too Here's an interesting statistic. An increasing number of male victims of domestic abuse from LGBT and from migrant and from minority backgrounds have reported to support services since the beginning of the year. This is from Men's Aid, which says it's seen an increase in contacts over the past three months. Uh, Katrina Bentley is their CEO uh, and she joins me now. Katrina, good morning to you. Good morning, DJ. This has been something, and as long as I'm discussing domestic abuse mm-hmm. on the radio, and that's a while now, every single time, mm-hmm. at least one message, please don't forget it happens to men too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I suppose it's, a, it's, it's very sad that we have such high, high, high rates in relation to um, any gender. One in four women, at least one in seven men during their lifetime will experience domestic violence or coercive control so it's a very high statistic um, and I suppose that and it still doesn't actually reflect the true prevalence because unfortunately I suppose there's so many barriers to come forward to report it or even to, to talk about it or to seek help there's so many barriers there that we none of us actually know the true prevalence but I suppose what we would guess roughly is that it would probably be behind every third or fourth third or fourth front door across Ireland so it's, it's just very sad for all the family and those involved mm. Now, your numbers are gone up. In 2020, you got about 5,500 contacts. And so far, you reckon mm. you'll reach about 8,000 this year. Now, that's that's up by, by a third at least. And there are yeah. particular demographics reaching out to you. Absolutely, yeah. I suppose in the last three months, um, we are very concerned about the increase. Um, but I suppose we're not surprised either because traditionally the man has not come forward because of, you know, the, the stigma and the shame and fear, etc. But definitely in the last three months we've seen um, um, a lot more men who are in relationships with men, so the LGBT, the gay man coming forward, um, and also members from other countries as well. So um, South American, Europeans, Eastern Europeans, Middle, Middle Asia, etc., Middle Eastern as well. And they've additional barriers because obviously the gay community may have additional barriers and also those whereby English may not be their first language have additional barriers as well. Um, and one in particular, I suppose, that stood out in the last few weeks was it was a gentleman who, when he returned to the workplace, having been working from home for the past year, obviously because of the pandemic, his work colleagues realised he didn't seem to be in a great place. And it was his work colleagues that asked him, was everything okay at home? When he broke down, they handed him our helpline number. He wasn't aware that our service actually existed. So that was interesting as well. When we just said to him, how did you hear of us? You know, and, and, and his, his workplace had been terrific. So, um, so it's, it's, it's just shocking. 
Um, mm. But I suppose on the positive side, PJ, is that finally that men are coming forward yeah. because the prevalence is there. It is happening. But I suppose, you know, the important message to get out there is that getting help is a sign of strength. You know what I mean? Yeah. So for, for years, that was kind of a huge hurdle for men, wasn't correct. it? That this big Absolutely. six foot five inch construction worker <laughs> built like mm-hmm. a small outside toilet and his mm-hmm. wife or his partner is, is four foot mm-hmm. nothing. Yeah. He he lives in fear because of horror mm. or or him, yeah. but he can't talk about it for fear of embarrassment. Are those days yeah. gone? Um, they're starting to lift, thankfully. I I think we're we're really only starting to pull back the carpet on on this issue for, for the for, for the vulnerable male victim in Ireland. I think we've really only started it in the last eighteen months, and I think it is because the pandemic and supported by government um, and the media. I suppose in the last eighteen months with the various um, national campaigns, we really felt that, that the spotlight in a good way was put on domestic violence to help those. So I think we're at the very beginning, if I would say it that way. Finally, the men are coming forward. Monday of this week, 27 men got in touch with us on Monday just of this week alone. But got wow. through to, or 29 men got through to our helpline. Um, now our funding is only one percent of, of of the 30 million that's in the pot, which is not even enough for the women's services either. But if we had more funding, I suppose we we we'd reach more and we wouldn't miss so many calls. So we're very hopeful, obviously, for 2022 going forward that there'd be more um, funding there just to, to, to not be missing so many calls. And in particular, outreach appointments are very busy. There is a, roughly a two-week waiting list just for our outreach, just mm. because when men come forward, sometimes they need assistance with housing application forms, the legal orders, you know, um, just the legal papers, if I would call it the family law papers, access, custody, guardianship. Uh, we have a very high rate of, of couples in Ireland, maybe not married, so mum and dad, you know, mum and dad are not married yet so again that changes in terms of family law and access custody guardianship taking children out of the country for holidays etc etc so it um and also in relation i suppose the big piece i think for 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 the male victim and for all victims but actually to come forward as well and realize the impact on mental health um and we have counseling services as well and the men are coming forward finally and, and actually requesting counseling through because we very much understand the dynamics of domestic violence and coercive control and, and not seeing children and access issues. So if I would say that the pandemic, you know, had a positive, it certainly is that they're, they're finally coming forward, which is, yeah. which is good. People will roll their eyes when I say what I'm about to say, but over the years, the main line of the mainstream soap operas have run many a storyline. We've only recently mm-hmm. had a coercive control storyline in Fair City. Co- Coronation Street did it. EastEnders have done it. They've all done it at yeah. some stage or another. And yeah, it's, it's only a crummy television show. But when something like that... Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. That's portrayed in a soap that thousands Mm -hmm. and thousands of people watch. Does that Mm -hmm. ever cause you phones to ring? 
Yeah, our our our, our helpline spikes absolutely, and same sex relationships as well spike as well. That was one of the recent storylines in um, Fair City. Yeah, the course of control was so, in the, in the, the gay couple. Yeah, 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 absolutely, and and we are seeing that spike, and we are wondering is the spike that we're seeing in the last three months is it actually would it actually go back to to to, to Fair City? because there was so much media coverage of it as well, social media, Twitter, Facebook. People weren't impressed with the outcome of it in terms of the trial and all that, but still it was covered. But that outcome actually triggered so much engagement and so much discussion. It was quite clever in a way. It is. Because it it was wonderful in a way to see the outpouring of how, you know, unhappy people were to see that outcome. Yeah. So that actually got the conversation going, if right. you know what I mean. So, yeah, because people were, I mean, you know. I look, I, I wouldn't, I, Fair City and me, if I walk into the room and it's on, I won't leave. But I won't yeah, actively yeah. go looking for it. But kind of yeah, half yeah. following the story. And then and I saw the, yeah. the outcome of it. And the, mm. the people were outraged on social media. But having that mm. same thought, this mm. is a reality that sometimes it does, a lot of times it does turn out like that. And people feel, they've, they, why did I bother taking a case in the first place? So they'll pick yeah. up a helpline. Yeah, absolutely. No, de- definitely. We're, we're certainly seeing a huge increase, um, definitely in, in LGBT. So, um, and, and various examples of, you know, sitting in front of us with six stitches in their head and telling us, well, it's only six stitches and minimising us. And, and, and saying, well, that's fit. that was a physical, intra- you know, altercation in the kitchen, oh, but she didn't mean it. That's not violence. Sort of in denial. And how long have, has this been going on? 14 or 15 years we're terribly sorry, you know, but that is physical, that is violence, that is domestic violence. So men use different language, PJ. They don't, men don't like to say domestic violence. It's an awful word anyway, do you know what I mean? It, yeah. it conjures up marigold gloves, you know what I mean? Yeah, they call it intimate partner intimate violence Intimate partner now. violence yeah. because that'll include all genders and obviously, you know, Ireland is, is changing. We supported 25 different nationalities in the first quarter of this year. So wow. Ireland is, is, you know, those kind of language like domestic violence doesn't really help, okay. you know, a, a vulnerable victim. So, again, just all backgrounds, whether farmers, you know, built on the land and there's family issues. And, and we have a gentleman who's a farmer and, and he's sleeping in a tent because, it, in his own words, it gives me peace of mind. We have a dad who, who has a couple of kids and he has a protection order, but he's too fearful for his life. She's threatened his life. He just won't stay in the house. So he's sleeping in the back seat of his car. Um, we we get a lot of calls from hospitals, from you know social workers and, and nurses as well, chatting to us from from you know uh, with 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 permission given from from the client you know in the hospital bed, linking in with us. Um, and we have another dad who said he was waiting for the final mortgage payment to be made, so that his wife would have a roof over his head, his children would have a roof over their heads. Um, and he's he's in his seventies, and 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 he has moved on um, to a safe environment after. 45 years of of not being happy and and not being safe, you know, so... You know, Katrina, there's great credit to to an organisation like yours because you're you're what I would call a stone lifter in that there are elements of society where the stones have lain on the ground for many years because we're just Mm -hmm. afraid to lift them. Mm-hmm. But you, your group has lifted the stone mm-hmm. and, and what's under it ain't ain't pretty. It would be remiss of me to let you go without getting your helpline details. What are they? Sure. Uh, the website, a lot of men first go on our website, PJ, just to have a read. So it's mensaid.ie um, and the helpline is 01, it's a 554 3811, We're also on all the social media platforms if men want to have a look at that. And also we take a lot of calls from mums and sisters who are supporting their family 
because domestic violence, coercive control, unfortunately, doesn't only just impact the family. Yeah. The children are the children are experiencing that. The granny and granddad, the sisters, the brothers, yeah. the aunts, uncles as well. It really is family trauma. Really, yeah. you know what I mean. When, so, when is that helpline yes, available? We're Monday to Friday, nine to five. Okay. All right. Listen. Good to talk with you. Lovely speaking, Katrina. Thank you. And keep up that super work that you're doing. That's Katrina Bentley, CEO of Men's Aid. Their helpline. 015543811. It's open now, 9 to 5, Monday to Friday. 015543811 and mensaid.ie is their website. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. <laughs> Quark's 96FM's Be Kind to Your Mind with GP, author and wellness expert, Dr. Mark Rowe. What people really need, in my opinion, is a a lot of self-care and they really need to be patient with themselves and give themselves a break and understand that good enough is good enough and, you know, nothing is ever perfect. We are social creatures, we are as human beings and, you know, having good friends that are there to strengthen and support you, that are there to encourage and empower you and at times challenge you is really important and to be there for someone as well, to really ask someone and how they are, how they really are, how they're doing because many people are struggling silently and in silence can be a real gift. Helping you through COVID. Helping you through COVID. Cork's 96 FM. Been a fan for many years of the work of Professor John Cryan and his team at UCC. They're doing extraordinary work. It's future science on the effect of our gut on our brain. And where my interest came from was a long time ago when my, my boy was small, we changed his diet and we gave, put him on what was loosely called the autism diet because we read a research paper about the connection between the gut and the brain and brain function and all of that. And I've told that story many times. We noticed a change. We noticed a change in the boy in a matter of weeks when we changed his diet. And then up at UCC, they were looking at that and they were saying, do you know what? There is science here. There's real science here. They've moved on now and they research all sorts of interactions between our gut and our brain. And the latest one is that your gut and your diet can have an effect on the aging process, on things like memory loss and how we get slower and we function more slowly and we think more slowly and our brains get a bit more foggy as we get older. And the latest research up at that fantastic facility in UCC is that maybe we can not only prevent that, but maybe even reverse it. Katie Gazetta is a PhD student up there. Katie, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. I'm very excited to be here and talking with you today. Delighted to have you. And this is, again, another examination at the APG microbiome of what the microbiomes in our gut are doing. So before we get on to that, what is a microbiome and what does it do? Right. So a microbiome is just a community of microorganisms living in some sort of niche. Now, 
within our body, we have the skin microbiome, all the microbes living on your skin. So bacteria, maybe fungi and archaea, but also most microbes in your body live inside of your gastrointestinal tract in your intestines. And there's trillions of microorganisms there that are really, um, they're, they're co-residing co with us. And we're learning more and more about how important they are for our health. So these microbes help us digest our food and release nutrients that our human cells can also uh, digest and process better uh, and use for energy. But they're also making these compounds and molecules that communicate with our nervous system and they can inform our immune cells how to better uh, perform. So these microbes aren't just sitting there dormant. They're doing processes that we're learning are actually really important for our health. Mm. And over the last number of years, we've learned more and more of what they do. And they're clever little devils. <laughs> Indeed, they are. They can help us to learn, to remember. And wh where are we going now with the aging research, Casey? Right. So our lab has previously seen, and our collaborators at APC have previously seen, that as you age, the composition of these microorganisms inside of our gut changes um, throughout the aging process. And our colleagues have correlated that to things like frailty in elderly populations and also, also cognitive health. So recently, our lab has seen that um, in aging, the gut permeability is increasing so your, your gut barrier function, so how your gut is functioning, and we're linking that to the microbes there. And we've seen also that dietary shifts, diet uh, supplements such as inulin, which is a fiber that's found in some prebiotics, it's a prebiotic fiber, um, found in vegetables and fruits, that this can also have a positive effect on cognition. Now, our research takes a new spin on that and wants to see Specifically, are the microbes playing a role here? Because if they are, perhaps we can use something like a probiotic in a yogurt to help prevent cognitive decline and aging. So what we did was we transferred microbiota from the guts of young mice and we put this into aged mice twice a week. And we saw, we looked on a lot of different metrics in the immune system, but also in the brain and cognition behavior. Um, and we saw that if old mice received a rejuvenation of their microbiome from a young mouse. They were able to have restored uh, immunity in the periphery, but also in their brain. So they performed better in cognitive tasks such as mazes and these sorts of things. So it's very exciting. Yeah. Does any kind of possibility there then in terms of, you know, not so much reversing, but slowing the, the aging process the old saying, you are what you eat, this is living proof of it. Indeed it is, yes. So we were working with um, older mice. They would be the equivalent to maybe about a 70-year-old human. Um, so the aging process would have already started. So we didn't specifically look if we were slowing aging or reversing aging specifically, but we did see that there was a big improvement when we compared this to aged mice that were receiving microbes from other aged mice. Yeah. So did they, exciting. for example, when you took the the microbes out of the younger ones and put it into the older ones, like mm -hmm. did did their performance in lab tasks improve, or is it that's am I oversimplifying that? That's completely true. So we looked at a number of different cognitive behaviors, and we saw improvements in in short term or sorry, long term memory, but also in the learning process. So these cognitive tasks they were able to perform better at after having a rejuvenation in their microbiome. Now, not every task was actually improved. So we did see that 
for instance, there was a, a social deficit that occurs with aging or a change in sociability. Um, and we weren't able to restore that in, in our mice that received a young microbiota. Okay, okay. So, obviously, this is very early days. Um, I mean, pr- Professor Cryan himself is, is saying there's a whole lot of work left to be done to see how these findings could could be translated in, into humans. But we're, we're at the start of an exciting road with this. Indeed we are. It's the first evidence that the microbes living in our body are really crucial for the aging process and our brain health. Yeah. The questions come in uh, on the phone, and I don't know whether you can address this or not, Katie. If not, mm-hmm. fine. I'm 71. I walk three miles every day. I train kids in sport. I had an issue with my memory about three months ago. I cut back on red meat. Could that have an effect? Yeah, so diet is one of the main factors that shapes the microorganisms that can live in your body. What you feed yourself, you're also feeding them. So if you change your diet, it will change what's living inside of your gut. Um, So red meat has been linked to a number of um, things such as cancer and and other things. I'm not sure the exact link to cognition, but of course, if you change your diet, there would be an impact on the gut microbes and perhaps that could be what's helping here. Okay, so what's the next step now that you've found the mice reacting like this, uh, Katie. What's the next step for, for your team? Right. They say, you know, if, if any disease is, um, if, if there was one animal that was the healthiest in the world, if we can cure anything, it'd be in mice. So um, all the research that's studied in mice is really promising. But the big question is, can that translate over to people or other animals, such as our pets, our dogs and our cats and such? Um, so we want to see further, can we, can we find specific microorganisms that are playing a causal role in this relationship? And, and maybe if we find a specific bacteria, for instance, Maybe we can make a probiotic that we could use to supplement diet. Um, So maybe we don't need a full microbiome transplant. Or perhaps there's even a way that we can adjust the microbiome specifically through diet or uh, using a supplement of a postbiotic, so something produced by these bacteria that maybe elderly people are lacking, but is really crucial to support their health. So there's a lot of things we still need to look at, um, but it'd be very exciting to uh, consider the possibilities in humans and and see does this really transfer uh, when we put it into a human host. I tell from your voice finally, Katie, you get a great buzz out of this, don't you? Indeed. It's, you know, it's, it's groundbreaking and it's, I'm, I'm really excited to be a part of it. It was a huge team effort and I wouldn't be able to say uh, we, we got to the place we did without everyone who's, who's been involved. So, Okay. Well, congratulations to everyone on yet another fantastic finding coming out of that centre at UCC. And give John Cryan my regards when you're speaking to him. That's PhD student Katie Gazetta. The latest research in UCC is telling us that maybe, just maybe, our diet, and other elements of our lifestyle. You can slow down the aging process. And the little things that start to fail as you get a little bit older, that maybe, just maybe, our diet can help us to stop that. 1857 Can we just talk? 
Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Singing songs charged with a sense of social responsibility in a career spanning over 25 years, Karen Casey has released 11 albums and is performing live at Elizabeth Fort with acclaimed musicians Sean O'Graham, Neve Dunn and Niall Valley. The show takes place on Saturday, August 21st. Access all areas. The penultimate concert in Trisco's six summertime concert series taking place on Saturday the 14th will present two inimitable and formidable jazz musicians, Corkonians Paul Dunley and Cormac McCarthy. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Number of international days on today. There's international days for everything now. It's International Elephant Day today. I love elephants. International Burger Day today. It is. It is. It's International Vinyl Record Day today. It's also International Youth Day. And that's the one we want to focus on with Denise Cahill, who is our Healthy Cities Coordinator here in Cork. Denise, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Good to be with you. And you. What is Cork doing for International Youth Day? Well, this year um, we're focusing very much on children and play. Uh, PJ, I've been talking to you before about our ambitions for Cork to be a child-friendly city. And I suppose an an element of that is for Cork uh, to turn Cork City really into a playground and um, to work with our, our museums, galleries and attractions across the city to invite children um, into their spaces, to turn them into VIPs and to really engage with those spaces in a playful, child-friendly manner. So um, this is going on all of the summer, but I suppose we're highlighting it today in particular because today is all about young people. Um, We're keen to invite them along and to participate uh, across the city in a range of activities. Talk to me about the Playful Culture Trail. What's that? So the Culture Trail came from our ambitions um, around Cork being a playful city. We worked with uh, Cork City Council and the Tourism Directorate there, as well as Cork Local Sports Partnership, to fund um, a, a, a trail around the city um, to highlight all of our um, museums, galleries and attractions. And I suppose to to ensure that people are aware that they're child-friendly and family-friendly. Um, and what has... Um, um, I suppose emerged is a, a whole new um, gathering and following for these spaces among children. So children uh, will receive a little canvas bag with um, instructions on finding Blahine the lizard who can be found across the city. Um, they'll get colouring pencils and in each of the, the spaces there's um, some child-friendly artwork or activities to do. So, for example, I visited Elizabeth Fort with my two children who are aged five and seven this mm-hmm. week yeah. and we had two hours of just absolute joy inside there looking for Blahine the Lizard. Um, I think we found 34 stickers throughout the fort and what it did was it engaged the children in the space um, in a child-friendly way. They they ran around, they uh, explored parts of the fort, they got to climb up 
um, across the across the, are they the bridge maybe over the city. In, in, in an innocent, playful way, Denise, are they then learning, you know, at, at a capacity they can take in our wonderful history? Absolutely. And they're looking at the space, I suppose. Um, they're, they're hearing about, you know, um, the, the different parts of, of the space. And Jennifer there uh, gave some great information and, and uh, you know, filled us in on the little things around the fort. Um, but they're also getting a sense that it's part of a city centre and they're looking out and they're able to see uh, the city from, from the bridge above Um so it's it's just it's it's a wonderful activity. Similarly, we went up to the Butter Museum, and likewise, um, they were learning about the bog, uh, the age of the bog, and you know, in relation to their height and how long it takes for the bog to grow over ten thousand years. Mm-hmm. And then their their I suppose Peter there was relating it to them as children and and their age and their height, and you know, they got to to stamp out some butter. Um, paper which was a fun activity but they learned about the different butter markets across yeah. across Ireland and, and how Cork supplied that butter so it's it's just the imagination of these spaces and the staff in these spaces has, has been endless and they're they're really um they're really looking to engage with children yeah. at their level and it works really well you know? if you pitch it to kids at in their language and in the way that they amass information they soak it up like a sponge they soak it up and they, I mean, children are born to seek out fun. Um, and I think if you can provide a space that's fun for children and accessible to children, you're really opening it up uh, to their to their engagement. And, you know, the hotels across the city are promoting it. The Buffarin is promoting it. Everyone's in behind it. And it's been a wonderfully positive, um, you know, response. People are really engaged in it. And, you know, there's some children finding Blaheen in one, one space and then they want to go to another to, to find her again. So they're actually seeking out these cultural spaces, okay. museums, galleries and attractions. Um, Before kids go back to school in a couple of weeks, is there anywhere parents can find out a bit more about this? Yeah, there's um, the trail itself is available uh, to download on purecork.ie forward slash play trail. There's a little leaflet there with all of the attractions listed. Uh, there's also on the back of the leaflet um, 30 fun things and playful things you should do in Cork. City, so um, there's a whole uh, array of suggestions for families and for children. Um, and I suppose, just you know, as a parting note, what I'd love to say is that really we want to turn the playground inside out in Cork City, and we want to turn the city into a playground, and we want to to make the public realm a really good experience for children out there and and cultural spaces, galleries and attractions should be child friendly and they are now so get out and and explore them. Great idea. Uh, Thank you for being with us. Denise Cahill, Healthy City Coordinator uh, with Cork City Council. Uh, Purecork.ie for more about that. 1850-715-996. Quick reminder to you, the Premier League will be back very, very soon and once again you'll be able to get Premier League live on a Saturday afternoon on the Quark's 96mm app, powered by TalkSport, and brought to you with Now. Uh, stream live Premier League action with a Now Sports or Sport Extra membership. Your sport on your terms. Stream only the games that matter to you most with Now. Live action from BT Sport and Premier Sport.
And of course, back on the app very, very soon, powered by TalkSport on Cork's 96 FM. 1857-15996. There was one thing... Oh yeah, with regard to the, the, the dog walking laws, uh, or the, yeah, that you have to keep your dog on a lead. We started with that earlier this morning. A couple of comments in the bucket that I didn't get to. PJ, never mind the dog laws. A law that's being broken every day in the city centre is footpaths being blocked by pubs and restaurants. Yeah, you can see why it's a problem. But, uh, it's lovely to see and great to see it. And you have to allow the restaurants and pubs to make a bit of money by doing stuff on the outdoors until such time as we can all go back in again. But at the same time, it's not very convenient if you have a wheelchair or you're a walking stick or you're a bit, you know, a bit difficult with your eyesight problems. It's not easy for everybody and we should remember that. It would be impossible to monitor all dogs in the city, but maybe the wardens could patrol all the parks we have regularly. Most people do seem to keep their dog on a leash says Jer. I wouldn't in- agree with you on the last point, Jer, but a bit more patrolling would help. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, as well as World Youth Day and World Elephant Day and World Vinyl Record Day, I mentioned earlier that it was World Burger Day. Something came into my life last weekend and my life may never be the same again at least my burger life may never I had my first ever Juicy Lucy you had a what? I had my first ever Juicy I don't ever seen them on the television Uh, your man that used to do man versus food was a huge fan of Juicy Lucy's what they are is they're a cheeseburger but the cheese is inside the meat. Oh my God almighty, lads, I had died and gone to heaven before sleeping out of the box. <laughs> Might have one for me tea tonight if I can get it. Uh, 1850 715996. We're getting a talk about uh, antisocial behaviour in Crosshaven. There's been quite an amount of it. A lot of antisocial behaviour happening in Crosshaven recently as seen in media outlets today. We're getting some reports of it. People seem to be blaming the pubs. I think that's unfair. Pubs can't be the only reason antisocial behaviour is happening with or without the pubs. And that's that's fair. That's fair. If antisocial behaviour, it'll be the easy thing to do now is blame the pubs because the pubs are trying to get back on their feet and open and trying to do what they can within the rules and all of that. It's not fair to blame antisocial behaviour on the pubs. Uh, not at all. On climate change, Craig makes a point, and I've been saying this for years, Craig, as someone who likes summer weather in the summer, and I make no apology for it, I know that when it gets hot, it's a symptom of something else, and we should be concerned about that, and we are. But I make no apology for loving a bit of hot summer weather and no apology for wanting another little bit of it before everyone goes back to school and the autumn comes in September. I do. 
But at the same time, Craig makes a point. Now the government knows what the future is for Ireland with regard to climate change. Surely they should build storage facilities to catch the rainwater in the extra wet winters we're facing so we don't have a drought in the summer. Stay safe. Craig, that's a point I've been making for years. We get a few days of hot summer weather here, like we got last month. And people are saying, oh, there's a drought. There was no water. The earth is scorched. And yet you've parts of the world where it doesn't rain for months on end. And they seem to manage. They seem to get water from somewhere because they store it. They build storage facilities and they build irrigation facilities. And they use the water that falls in other times in the year and they store it in the key. Craig's got a great point. So, buddy of mine, the last really bad, bad, the last really long and protracted heat wave we have was in 2018. And it was very bad for the grass. My back garden looked like a burnt biscuit for weeks on end. And I took my dogs up to a buddy of mine who was minding them. And he has a big garden up the back. And we were going on holidays and he was taking the dogs off me. And he has about a three-quarter acre out the back. And it was like a snooker table. It was brilliant. I said, how the hell have you done that? He brought me around to four water butts that he had at strategic positions around the corner of his garden. Huge ones. And he'd been collecting all of the rainwater as it fell. And all of his waste from the house, he also trucked out and put into this, these, these water butts. And then when it got hot and dry, he'd irrigated the garden. And he's just brilliant. Garden like a snooker table. 1850-715-996. But I'm, 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 I'm ranting a bit and, and I shouldn't be. The Irish guide dogs need your help. And if you're a dog lover with some spare time on your hands, they are recruiting for puppy raising volunteers in the Munster area. Now, it's got to be the cutest job on the planet, but I imagine it'd be heartbreaking to give them back. But still, people have to do this, and it has to be done. Erin MacDonald is the Shared Services Supervisor with the Irish Guide Dogs. Erin, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Beautiful to train them, but agonising to give them back. But we'll get to that in a while. What does a volunteer have to do with one of your puppies? So they have to raise the puppy from about eight weeks of age to 12 to 14 months. So they basically take them to the veterinarian, they train them, um, give them some loving care, and uh, just make sure that their that their journey is is suitable, you know, along the way to becoming a service dog. Now, is it the simple training that we'd all do with our dogs, like teaching them not to pee in the kitchen, or is it more advanced yeah. than that? Uh, it's it's probably a little more advanced in the in the fact that it is basic obedience, so it's potty training and um, but but with pet dogs, some people will allow them on the furniture or you know feed them table scraps. We don't allow that for our for our pups. Um, so I would say it is a little bit more advanced, but your, your basic obedience. I mean, we want puppy raisers to have fun with it. We don't want to be so strict that they're so nervous to raise them. Um, so so yeah. I would say a little bit more, but nothing nothing major, nothing out of the ordinary. And you know, a working dog, particularly, say, um, an assistance dog for a, an autistic person or indeed, a, you know, a guide dog for the blind, we're, we're, we're told always that that is a working dog. And when you see the dog working 
don't do silly things like go up and want to play with it in the middle of the street. So are, does does the volunteer need to bear in mind that this dog is not going to be a pet, that's going to be a working dog? Absolutely, yes. So when they are training the puppy, they'll be wearing their jackets um, so that they're visible to the public. And when they are working, it's it's not an invitation to come up and pet them um, while they're working because the distraction it will, you know, it's not conducive to the training. So, but then they, there are times when you can take the jacket off and have social time, and people can come and interact with them. Is it true that the dogs learn, Erin, that when my jacket is on, I'm working? Yes. Really? They have that association. Wow. Yeah, they will associate that. Wow. You see, I, I just think they're the most amazing creatures. Particularly, I think the assistance dogs. They're just astonishing creatures. So, how many do you need at the moment to be to be um, involved in the raising this, this early um, stage? How many pups? Yeah. We, um, for our plan next year, we need at least 120 pups. Wow. So that's 120 puppy raisers throughout the country. Because it's only one each. Yes, one each. Yeah. Yeah. And do you have a specialized breeding program now? We do, yes. We have, um, we have our breeding program and it continues to grow. This year, so far, we've had seven litters born. Wow. How many pups is that? Um, well, approximately. So like top approximately well, we have right now, currently, we have 84 pups on, on the scheme. Right, okay. Okay. And how long from eight-week-old puppy to working dog, professional working dog, as it were? How long? So once, so the puppy raise will have them from 12 to 14 months of age. Then they'll come in for their formal training, which could be between 20 and 26 weeks of training. Right, right. So most, most, most young working dogs would be about what, two, almost two, maybe? Almost two before almost being, two. yes, matched. Very mm-hmm. good, very good. Okay. So if anybody does want to get involved, what do they need to be aware of? So if they want to get involved, um, well, actually, tonight I'm doing a webinar, an informational webinar at 7 o'clock. Um, so I will give a lot of information out. But if they want to get involved, basically our criteria would be no children under five, an enclosed garden, um, having a vehicle to be able to take the, the puppy to public access in the veterinarian, and um, being kind of tech savvy because we do use Zoom platform for puppy classes. So, and, you know, basically not not necessarily working full time. So we kind of target retired people or stay-at-home moms or um, part-time folks, maybe folks that are working home but have a flexible schedule so they can mind the puppy. It's, it's so a big we, responsibility. Oh, it's it is very big responsibility. A lot. It's very time-consuming, yeah. for sure. But it's very rewarding at the same time. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure. And can you have another dog already? Yes, you can have up to two other dogs in the home as long as they are neutered and are sociable. And are they responsible for the vet's bills, for example? No, we will take care of the puppies' um, veterinarian bills, their food, and the basic equipment, the startup equipment, the crate, um, you know, chew bones, a Kong toy, things like that. Okay, all right. And if anybody does want to want to take part, how can they do that? How can they get more information? That webinar, by the way, where would that be on the guide dog the guide dog's website? Um, you can. They can just email me. It's basically Aaron at guidedogs.ie. Right. And then I can register them or they can just email me if they have any specific questions. Um, and then I can also email them the link. If they would like to apply, they can go right onto our website and apply from 
the puppy raising tab. Great. I know, just lastly and briefly, I know how difficult it's been for every every charitable organisation throughout the course of the pandemic. I also know how important fundraising is to the guide dogs. Has it been tough? It has. It's been challenging, but you know what? I think we're pulling through. We're doing we're doing really well. We've been the focus was to ensure after the pandemic or during the pandemic to ensure the puppy raisers are fully supported. So we've had to make changes during that time and we, we've created the Zoom puppy classes. We have a video library on each of the behaviors to send over to the puppy raisers and, and at the same time they've been sending us videos so that we can have eyes on the dog, uh, the puppy and see how they're doing. Okay, okay. It's a big challenge to take on but very rewarding. Like you say, Erin McDonald, who's the Shared Services Supervisor with the Guide Dogs. GuideDogs.ie is their website or if you want to have a look at that webinar or indeed contact Erin directly and get involved in the programme, it's Erin, E-R-I-N, at GuideDogs.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Tell us about this uh, legend of a daughter of yours. Yes, so she's doing political science in UCC and she applied for and was accepted to do an internship in New York starting in January. So she'll be working for the Senate, the US government. Oh, that's fantastic. That's very exciting. You don't know you're going to have half a cork in JFK Airport going, listen, I know it's Elise Sinead. She walks her bike. Casey and Ross in the morning with no DC cars Blackpool for Skoda in the city. A long-standing tradition in Cork. Open 24-7 at milldc.com. Cork's 96 Did you know that there's a vote on at the moment as we speak to nominate the world's top 20 most outstanding young people. There is. Did you know that in that vote we have one and only one Irish person? There is only one. And did you know that she's from Cork? Yeah. Dr. Sinead Kane has been nominated by Junior Chambers International as one of the world's top 20 outstanding young people. And what's more, you can help to get her to the next stage of this vote. Sinead, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on the show today. Delighted. Congratulations on the nomination so far. Um, you must have been you must have been blown away when it came. Um, I'm delighted and privileged. Like there's been six lucky winners from Ireland before who have actually got to the world stage, such as Aaron Hanna, he was medical innovation. You had Joanna Reardon, contribution to children and human rights. There was Kira Judge, Harry McCann, because there's different um, categories like you've academic leadership or medical innovation or business, scientific, um, humanitarian. So there's um, Ireland has been lucky to get six people um, in the past to get to the final stage. So even just how the process works is there's JCI Ireland and then there's JCI International. And within JCI Ireland, 
20 people would be shortlisted and then um, similarly like JCI Global it would be listed down to 10 in Ireland and then within that top 10 in Ireland then um, they put somebody forward and it's up to JCI Global then whether they accept that nomination or not and thankfully for me this year they've accepted um, JCI Ireland putting me forward. Brilliant. Just to remind people of who you are, you're an athlete, a marathon runner, you are a lecturer on disability law and a practicing lawyer um, and all of that on top of being registered as, as legally blind. What age are you, by the way, Sinead? Uh, you don't mind I'm my getting, asking. I'm getting old now. I'm 39. So, um, <laughs> you're only a spring You're only a spring chicken. But you achieved all these in, in a very young life. Alongside the, the 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 blindness, like that, was that? You know, were you born blind, for example? Um, I was born visually impaired. Yeah, so I suppose I'm kind of at the stage now in my life where I'm very much used to yeah. visual impairment and barriers in my life. I think the reason why I was nominated for this award is because of my activism in community yes. since an extreme young age, like it's a junior chamber. Uh, that's what that's all about, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Since a very young age, I've been working with the Irish Guide Dogs, NCDI, CASA, Child Vision, Able Vision Ireland. Um, I uh, community work down in my Ross. Um, and in 2008, I got a section of legislation implemented. In 2012, I was sitting on a panel with Sherry Blair. That was um, a conference, an international conference that I organised regarding trying to get more um, people with disabilities into the legal profession. In 2013, I organised a conference regarding um, people with disabilities in politics and posing the question, well, how come isn't there more people with disabilities in politics and just trying to get that discussion going? And I I brought David Blunkett over to Ireland the former UK Home Secretary. I remember him, yeah. Yeah, yeah and then in, I hear that you were talking there a while ago about the Irish Sky Dogs. Like, yes. they're a wonderful charity to work with. In 2017, when I did the World Marathon Challenge, uh, rather than keep my sportsmanship award, I donated my sportsmanship award to the Irish Sky Dogs, which was €9,600. Excellent, um, well done. So, like, I think with... Uh, Sometimes it's not about, oh, you have to achieve two PhDs or two Guinness World Records to be nominated on this list. Um, The whole point of JCI Ireland and JCI Global is about leaders in their communities who's making an active difference and making an impact. Um, So I'm very happy to be nominated. Brilliant. What, what was the legislation? You mentioned legislation. What was the legislation you had a hand in getting through? Um, well, I suppose a lot of my um, activism really relates to disability. So, um, and I suppose, obviously, I'm biased regarding being a solicitor. So I got um, a, a just assistance for lawyers with disabilities in the court system to allow, say, have personal readers 
in the court, say, even in a family law case, as you know, family law is in camera. So there's only a certain amount of parties allowed in the court. And I remember when I was doing my traineeship, like... um, you'd have the judge saying to the solicitor, oh, read from that paragraph. And he'd be like, the judge would be nearly getting annoyed if the solicitor didn't read quickly enough. And as I was going through my training, I was thinking to myself, okay, well, how does that affect me now? I don't want that impacting on my client if I can't read it quickly enough for the um, judge. So it was allowing personal readers into the court system um, to read documents uh, should the solicitor with the Fantastic. disability not be able to see it. But like, I know it's not a section of legislation that affects everybody because people with disabilities in the legal profession are yeah. very minor. But, but you know, you see, so. we would, but we, you know, you'll go into a court and, and you'll see a situation where someone's got a person, a personal reader. Like, that didn't happen overnight. That didn't magic itself up uh, with your toast in the morning. Someone had to think of that and someone had to drive it through. And that somebody was you. That's brilliant. Yeah. That's so, magnificent. Like, I suppose, like the reason I was just um, doing that is because like I suppose when you're a solicitor you don't want anything impacting your client and there's so many court cases going co- through the court etc. So um, I suppose that, that, that's just one of the reasons I, I did it. And I suppose like for me, the reason why I got um, into activism and everything like that is because I think it is important to try and make a difference in your community. And I know there, like some people ask me, like, how did I get to where I am today with all these successes? And um, I think there's a quote there by is it Eleanor Roosevelt that says, um, what's the quote again? The, I am where I am today because of the choices I made yesterday. So I think we all can be role models through our actions, thoughts, behaviours. Um, and I suppose when I was going through um, law UCC, it wasn't easy. Like there was so many times that I wanted to give up because my eyes were always sore. And in second year, I decided that I was giving up and that was it. And then I ended up actually, before I definitely did give up, I went to London for a shopping trip, thinking it was a shopping trip, but ended up meeting a judge there who was totally blind and um, he became a role model to me and I came back full of confidence and went on and got my law degree and got my master. So I suppose like we can all be role models. Everybody can be role models. That's fantastic. How do we get to vote for you, Sinead? Yeah, the voting closes today. So if you want to say any of the social medias, JCI Ireland or go on to um, JCI International um, and they'll have the link for the page to vote or the the link is um, toyp.jci.cc. But... That, that, that's the link you can go on to or you can just go on to any of the social media okay. of JCI Ireland. And just just to click on your profile to yeah. vote. When will you know? What is the next step then and when will you know when you if you've made it? Um, I'm not quite sure when I'll know um, and uh, the next step after that then is if I do make it then there's an award ceremony in South Africa in mm. November but like the last two years it has been held virtually so it most likely yeah. will be held virtually again this year. After so, this process it gets whittled down to 10 doesn't it? 
Yeah, and then they like they're the ten winners. Then so like there's people there from Japan, Lebanon, um, Belgium, Argentina, Colombia, India, um, even Joe Wicks, the guy from the UK, he's on the list. Um, there's people from Syria, Tunisia, Turkey, Nigeria. Um, the only person I know on the list. As apart from myself is uh, Joe Wick so um, it's interesting to look up these other people and yeah. see what they're about and what impact they're making in their communities Well you're certainly impacting right, left and centre in yours and uh, Sinead, great to speak with you on the opinion and the very, very best of luck uh, in that voting process and we may talk again that's Dr Sinead Kane uh, from y'all she is a double Guinness World Record holder, a double PhD, a disability law lecturer, a qualified lawyer, a writer, an athlete, a marathon runner. And that's just the start. So anything to do with Junior Chamber, just look for Junior Chamber International, Junior Chamber Ireland, and you'll find the 20 Outstanding Young People poll and you can vote for her, but you can only vote for her up to the end of today. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96FM. Who could have imagined, despite theatres and cinemas being closed, the Arts House would be as busy as ever? Maybe we can't send you for nights out, but each week we bring you the latest news from our vibrant and creative communities all around Cork. Whether it's tips for the best live gigs online, new initiatives from Cork's writers and musicians, or great ideas for sitting at home and exploring galleries in the virtual world, join Elmarie Maul and Connor Tallon as we work to support and keep the arts alive in Cork. The Arts House. Mornings 8 to 10 with Griffin's Potatoes feeding Cork families with delicious Griffin's New Seasons Queens. Find them on Facebook at Griffin's Potatoes. Cork's 96 FM. So it was a nice clear sky last night. It doesn't look like it'll be too clear tonight. We hope it will. To observe a thing called the Persid Meteor Shower, which is a fascinating exhibition of the power of the universe, as it were. Let's bring in uh, space correspondent Leo Enright. Leo, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Like everything else, this is not random, everything else that happens up there in space. What is it, where does it come from, and why can we see it right now? Well, uh, PJ, yes, this is one of the two of the fine, one one of the two finest uh, meteor showers every year, and they come around, uh, particularly the Perseids, comes around like clockwork. That's because we're circling the sun like clockwork. Uh, Everything is very predictable in this Newtonian world described for us uh, by uh, Sir Isaac Newton. We go around the sun, and as we go around the sun, the bits, the particles from a comet called Swift-Tuttle are also going around the sun. And every year on the night of the 11th and 12th of August, we plough in to this clump of dust left behind by Comet Swift-Tuttle. Hang on, it's that, hard? it's that accurate? 
it is quite extraordinary. There's wow. a wonderful team, and we should be very proud once again of our Irish uh, astronomy skills that obviously go back many, many uh, thousands of years. But a team in Armagh Observatory have, are now able to calculate which clump uh, of the remnants of this particular comet were likely to go through in a given year. Because as it's going around the sun, Swift Tuttle is giving off loads and loads of dust. And after all those centuries of going around the sun, uh, it's now at the stage where it's actually lapping some of its own dust. So there's a kind of a ring of dust around the sun, along the comet, around the orbit of Swift-Tuttle. And we know exactly the orbit of Swift-Tuttle. It's a very well understood comet. We've actually, the Americans visited it, for heaven's sake. How, so how we, old we is know it? where it is and we can calculate when these things are going to happen. How, how old is this Swift Tuttle thing and how did it get that daft name? Billions and billions of years old, I would say, <laughs> safely. Um, but it, it's an old comet. It's been around for a long time. Uh, it was really only in recent centuries that we began to realise what these meteor showers are, are that they are, in fact, the, the bits of comets um, that were ploughing through. And it, uh, it was a team uh, called Swift and Tuttle. Uh, they, they spotted this comet. And once they did the calculations of its orbit, it became immediately clear that the annual shower, the Perseids, was being caused by the dust from this comet that they just discovered. Okay, so they always knew that this meteor shower was there. They just didn't know where it was coming from. Is that right? Precisely, yes. This has been known. The Perseids have been written about for centuries. And they, it really is just a magnificent display. I'm quite sure, PJ, that quite a few people... Uh, particularly in the darker parts, the best parts of, of Cork, um, uh, will have seen uh, meteors last night. Uh, and some people will know that this is the Perseids because last night, now I didn't check, I should have done before I began talking to you, I didn't check to see how many meteors were being seen generally by people globally. Um, but I can guarantee you that anyone who was out last night will have seen more meteors than usual. So if I happen to have a nice clear sky tonight, where should I look and what can I see? You should look anywhere because they're really? everywhere. But they come from a very particular direction. They come from the northwest, uh, from high in the northwestern sky, from a, a small, insignificant little constellation called Perseus. And that's why they're called the Perseus. Um, now, if I could explain why, you know, why they glow. These are only tiny specks of dust. I mean, this, this isn't huge lumps of rock. These are tiny specks of dust. The biggest thing that, we might, that you might see, the brightest meteor that you might see tonight, if you're lucky, um, would be much smaller uh, than a golf ball, more like a oh. pea. Okay. And the reason they're, they're so bright when they hit the atmosphere is because they're, mo they're moving so fast. And the reason they are moving so fast is because, wait for it, we are moving so fast. Because as we go around the sun, um, not pe many people may be fully, we won't be aware of it because it doesn't blow your hair back. But we are traveling uh, at about 30 kilometers a second. Get away. As, as we go around the sun. That's a fair old lick. That is a fair lick. It's about, what is it, about 17,000 
Right. Kilometres an hour. And we never notice it. And you, you'd never notice it. Right. And, and as we go through, as we, as we go through, obviously, we're ploughing into this thing. But also, one of the reasons there are so many of these and they're always so good and so bright is because as it happens, they're coming at us at much the same speed. So these lumps of, these little specks of dust are hitting our atmosphere at about 60 kilometres a second, wow. which is about um, four, uh, sorry, it's um, near, well nearly 10 times the speed of the International Space Station going around Good the Earth. Lord. Good Lord. It's, it's the sheer vastness and again the sheer fascination of space Leo, speaking of which, um, we recently had both Richard Branson and Elon Musk uh, take up these flights. Now, Richard Branson, my missus was sitting watching this for for hours on end, and she said, how long exactly did he spend in space? I said, about 12 seconds. Um, Elon Musk, something similar. But is space tourism, is it ever going to happen? Well, I, you know, it's uh, th- this is a difficult one. What, what these people are doing... Um, these are joy rides, PJ, uh, for the rich, the very rich. Mm. Um, I mean, as you say, they only get, as it happens, they get about five minutes of weightlessness um, where they can float around the cabin. And uh, we, we know the price now because Branson just last week uh, put a price tag on uh, the, the flights that he's going to be offering now. And, of course, capitalizing on all the media coverage. Oh, my God. Nothing but Branson, Branson, Branson. <laughs> capitalizing on this. He's put a price tag, which is now pretty close to a half a million dollars. For one seat. Just to get up there, get a look and be back down the whole flight. Yeah. <clears throat> Pardon me. The whole flight doesn't last 15 minutes. And that's without a beer or a sandwich like Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so it's, uh, this is not, I mean, it's a bit like going out, uh, it's a bit like going out into Cove Harbour in a boat compared to crossing the Atlantic uh, in the QE2. Yeah. yeah um, a- these guys are just boating around in the harbour, mm-hmm. whereas the space station and people who go to the space station, it takes vastly more energy, vastly more technology uh, to get up to the International Space Station. And to be fair to Elon Musk, that's in fact what he's doing. He's he's in an entirely, if you'll excuse me, doing a Jimmy McGee on it. Driving, drive on. He's in a different league. He's in a class of his own. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this guy Musk, because he is actually taking astronauts on his spaceship and bringing them up to the space station. And to give you an idea of how much speed and energy is involved, if anything goes wrong on the way up to the space station on Elon Musk's rocket, okay, mm. they have to fire their engine to get away from the rocket and they land off the west coast of West Cork. The splashdown point in an emergency is off West Cork. Oh, right. We, and they would be in the water saying hello to the lifeboat from, I suppose it would be the, from Dingle, right. where, which of course is not quite West Cork, but it's mm-hmm. almost there. Um, they, they'd be in the water 10 minutes after they left Cape Canaveral. Crikey. 
That's so, they, so in a way, if I was buying a ticket on Elon Musk's t- rocket, I'd nearly, I'd nearly go for an abort just to be able to say that I was the fastest man to go from Florida to Cork. <laughs> <laughs> Leo, always a pleasure to speak with you on the opinion. I could listen to Leo Enright talk all day about space. Thanks for that. 1850 That Persid meteor shower tonight. Actually, our, our friend Eugene Furlong has a, a Facebook page called Astronomy for the Kinda Interested. And he has uh, done a piece for me about the, the mythology behind Perseus. Perseus was a demigod, the son of Zeus and Danae. Perseus killed a monster called Medusa. Uh, that was a hideous gorgon with snakes for hair who turned anyone with the misfortune of looking into her eyes into stone. I think she lived in Blackpool at one stage. Cepheus and Cassiopeia were king and queen, had a daughter Andromeda. Uh, she, her mother claimed she was more beautiful than the sea nymphs of Poseidon, god of the ocean. This outraged Poseidon, who had Andromeda changed to a rock, chained to a rock to be eaten by the sea monster Cetus. Perseus killed Cetus and saved the princess Andromeda, who he then took to be his wife. And because he was so brave, he was given a place in the stars forever. Ah, Eugene. Doubt you, boy. 1850-715-996. I can remember many times crossing back over the country from gigs and rushing to get back to town so I'd get myself a pizza. Not just any old pizza, I had to get a Zico's pizza. Zico's Pizza is as um, as cork an institution regarding pizza as Dino's or KC's are, or, 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 or Lennox's as regards fish and chips. And Derry O'Callaghan, who has operated, I couldn't believe it, 40 years, Derry is stepping down and retiring. Derry, good morning to you. Morning. I always used to say, one of the reasons I loved Zico's was in the old days of when we were figuring out what pizza was in this country, you were the first person who got the onions or the mushrooms and the cheese just right. It was... When did you I, set up first? Well, we, we bought the shop in... when the World Cup was about to be on 1980. Right. And the, the guy who owned the shop was leaving the country. Right. And... Uh, we myself and my wife was we were there we were young people with no money yeah. we, we tried a couple of banks and they wouldn't give us money we found it hard to get a loan we got into Dennis Allen you know the cop footballer yeah 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 he used to work with First Southern Bank at the time he was a neighbour of mine a friend of mine and he he gave us our first loan right and there was just myself Branica and Norm and my sister and we three were there, three of us were there from day one, and we paid away from there. Yeah, and you built a big business, and up there around that part of Christ Tree and all the local businesses and local, like fierce loyal, fierce loyal supporters equals over the years. And of course, you you have a connection to to Vita Cortex, haven't you? Because you you supplied yeah. them, you supplied them with pizza during the sitting. We used to go down there every night to, to give food to the lads who were on strike and yeah. it was just something different. Yeah. Well, you, you're, why, why, are you, why have you decided to call it a day, Derry? Because I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. I had a stroke about a year ago. All right. And uh, I, I've, it wasn't a serious stroke, but I, I, it just turned me out and 
I have children and grandchildren that need to be looked after. Mm. So a wake-up call, as it were. Yeah. Pardon? A wake-up call? Yeah. Uh, health is important more than anything else. Of course it is. So are you going to close the shop or are you looking at selling it or what are you going to do? We're going to close the shop on, on Sunday night. We're leasing it out. Okay. So I just, I go up and have, have no food from whoever buys, whoever has it. Good, good, good. But you, so, so there will there will be an outlet there, but 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 you're stepping down. I am. I'm going to go home and relax and mind my grandchildren. Good for you. And my, my children are big enough now. <laughs> good for you. Derry, listen, thank you for all the wonderful pizza that I ate late at night out of Zico's um, over, over the years. And, and I think loads of people remember it, will remember it with great affection. And and glad to see that it won't actually be closing, but you yourself are retiring. No problem. I'm getting, I'm just becoming an old man. And before, <laughs> before I let you go, PJ, yeah. I know your brother, John. Ah, uh, you would, of course, wouldn't you? To, to Nemo. Yes, right. And, he and, and, and he'd say this thing, how did he pull that woman? Because she's way too good for him, right? She was definitely a good one, because I said this fairly often to, to men. I mean, she's she's, been, she's, she's, been, she's been telling us that herself ever since. Derry, well, enjoy, the, enjoy the retirement and congratulations and thank you for everything you've done for us over the years. Zico's Pizza, a Cork institution. Uh, and Derry and the family retiring. Very best of luck to Derry and Veronica and the family for the retirement. And I remember being down one night with the lads in Vita Cortex when the uh, pizza arrived. The finest, as it were. The very, very finest. Have we anything to do before we go? Oh, yes, on the subject of domestic violence and male domestic violence, Councillor Meek Nugent was just on to remind me that Sinn Féin had been calling for a free national helpline for domestic abuse and happy to mention that and I suppose if I can find it in time it would be good to read out the number again do you know what, I'll do it for you tomorrow because I won't be able to root out my few bits of paper uh, just before we go but that's it for Thursday sorry about all the noise that's it for Thursday the programme edited by Fergal Barry produced and researched by Katie O'Keefe and we'll see you tomorrow just after now Can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie.